Hello, my name's Chris Cracknell. Welcome back to the Current State of Music podcast. The podcast that is trying to find out about what's going on in music right now. Talking to artists about their careers and their journeys. Obstacles they've faced, problems they've overcome. The good stuff and the bad stuff and where things are right now for them. This episode is all about a Brighton-based music producer on the label True Thoughts. Uh, I've known him for a little while, actually. We, I did some mixing work for him. And we've sort of hung out a bit and we've sort of got to know each other and we see each other at social events and little festivals and stuff like that. And he's... I think he's billed as possibly the nicest guy in music. I don't know anyone that hasn't got good things to say about him, and I haven't either. He's an absolute lovely guy to hang out with. He's just had a little baby girl, which we talk about. And it's just refreshing to hear his story. It really is a story that isn't... It's not elite, it's not exclusive. And I think that's quite inspirational and hopefully it is inspirational to a lot of people he's just followed a path he's worked hard he's learnt the lessons and I'd say kind of now really all these years in he's just kind of hitting his stride he's just being playlisted on Radio 1 which for anyone that knows about stuff is massive he works hard he DJs he plays on other people's records and tours like Swindle. So I think it's a lesson in basically doing the work, being amongst it, doing the work, and uh, not resting on any laurels that you think you might have. So I'll be back at the end of this episode with all the usual housekeeping business. But for now, I'm going to leave you in the company and a very enjoyable chat with my mate Jay Felix. Joe Felix. Jay Felix, welcome to the Current State of Music podcast. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me down. Oh, you're very welcome. How's life treating you at the moment? It's good, it's good. Yeah, we've just been talking about my daughter who's just been born. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, Agnes, it's good. right? Sorry? Agnes? Not Agnes, Vera. Close Vera, enough. Vera. An old, that's an old it. name. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good choice. It's yeah. an unusual choice. It is quite quite unusual, yeah. Because there's things like those. Arthur, isn't there? And that's but but I Vera's kind of no, no, obviously. <laughs> but like Vera's probably in the less used category, isn't it? I would Definitely. Say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her older sister's called Olive, so they're like two little old ladies together. <laughs> Olive and Vera. It's like a Les Dawson. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sorry, I've now just planted an image in you. <laughs> So, as I like to do, let's go firstly back to early memories of music. Mm-hmm. Did you come Ooh. from like a musical family? Sort of, yeah, sort of. Um, in that, it was like there was a lot of music, like there's a lot of records, right. a lot of CDs, and lots, there was quite a lot of music always happening in the house in terms of records being played, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, what were my, your parents into? All sorts. They're actually pretty cool, man. They got me like the reason I learned about Massive Attack is because of them. 
Um, oh, you from Bristol, right? From Bristol. Did so you grow up in Bristol? Yeah, I grew up in Bristol, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, in South Bristol. So that was probably a bit of a staple in most Bristolian homes during the late 80s and 90s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ronnie Size Represent yep, as well. That was a big, big album that I think my mum and dad got me into. So how old were you when that sort of came out? Young. Um, I remember, I mean, when, when did it come out? Do you know? 90s? I'm going to say... For Blue Lines, that must be... Blue Lines was early, 94, yeah. 95, 96, something yeah. like that. So I was too young, really, then. Um, I was seven. Right. Um, so I was a bit too young, really, to get into that, but it was mezzanine. That my, I remember my yeah, dad yeah, getting yeah. on on CD, and I remember getting into that That's through my dad. That's a fucking heavy album, isn't it? That's like being <laughs> yeah. trapped in a small, hot room, isn't it? Yeah, it's nuts. The production's <laughs> insane as well. It's all just like, you can just hear it breathing. It's yeah. nuts, yeah. Yeah, still listen to it. That is a that is a yeah. pretty strong album to give a, a <laughs> essentially a child. Yeah, you go, listen I mean, that, to this. That was probably teens. So right. that was when I sort of started consciously getting into music. Yeah, I think. But earlier was um, I remember one of my earliest tapes was Combat Rock by The Clash. Right. That was my dad's as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, man. And then also my dad, he didn't play a lot, but when he was probably a bit younger than me now, he made guitars. Oh, right. And sold them just in kind no of way. art um, shows and stuff like that in Bristol. Yeah. In a small um, studio, from what I heard, just by the docks. Yeah. And made guitars to sell as one-off items, you know, maybe once every two months or something. Yeah, yeah. So there's always guitars oh, yeah. around the house as well that he had kind of either finished or half-built. or the. Have you, you know, got one? Yeah, I've got two. You've got yeah, two, yeah, wicked. Yeah, yeah. He gave me one for my 18th, one for my 21st. Yeah, that's yeah. really cool. Yeah, to come around and see them. They're on, they're on my wall at my yeah, house. Yeah, I'd love to see them. That's yeah, really interesting. Awesome. And uh, so, and then at school, were you like, were your mates kind of all in that vibe as well? Were they sort of listening to that sort of stuff? So, school was funny, man. I, I often because I teach as well, right? Yeah. And I often say to people who are around sort of sixteen to eighteen and maybe a bit younger that, like, when I was younger and definitely generations before that. It was pretty divisive, wasn't it? You were either into that or that. Yeah. And if even if you were into something that wasn't what you looked like or followed, you weren't. You wouldn't tell anyone. No. You know what I mean? And it was no, you had of, your tribes, didn't yeah, you? I've talked with people yeah. about yeah. this sort of thing, and yeah. people younger now they're just like, I don't care. Yeah. Like Monday, I'm in. I'm a goth. Tuesday, I'm a skater. You know, like yeah. don't give a shit. I yeah. just listen to whatever I want. Exactly. But yeah, exactly. back in the day, it was very much you had your yeah, and it thing, defined and you, right? That. It was like yeah, it was like. Um, so now I was kind of aware of that at school, and I think like so when I when I went to school, loads of people were into punk skater music. You know, there was a lot of skater culture, yeah. sort of, um, but not so much the hip hop side. Um, yeah, punk, ska punk, bands like Less Than Jake, you know, that kind of American. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, American pie music. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. American <laughs> rom com music, like comedy, like and. I've got to say, one or two of the tunes I kind of got, but I wasn't that into it. Yeah. And my brother's mate, Nick, um, was a guitarist, and he was really into his death metal, like right. heavy death metal, black metal, all the metals, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I, even though I guess that ska punk stuff was kind of considered an alternative, it sounded like pop to me as well. Do you know yeah, what I mean? yeah. Kind of like, I just didn't like it really. And it was kind of like very American. I didn't like that about it either. Yeah, so like, how do you relate to something like that? Yeah, you don't do because it's totally. Yeah. So I started kind of trying like to convince myself I was into death metal. 
and stuff like that. This, this is at school age, yeah. And then... Did you dress like you're into Not really. Now? Not really. It's I had long hair. Though, I was a skater, it? so I had long hair and yeah. just baggy, broken jeans, you know, yeah, so I was yeah, more yeah. of a skater, but it was, I was like really trying to get into death metal just to be alternative because I just didn't want to. But then I remember I was probably about 13. I remember my brother showing me Tribe Called Quest, Luck of Lucian, and that just changed everything. Yeah. Um, so that was like the beginnings of hip hop and then funk and soul and stuff like that. And all, you know, like all the ingredients of hip hop. Yeah. You then kind of, I guess, naturally get into all of that as well, don't you? Were you bothered about like finding out where some of that stuff came from, some of the samples and loops and stuff, or were you just like, no, this is, I can just listen to this? Well, originally I wasn't. Yeah. Because I didn't understand. I didn't. I didn't make the link. I didn't understand that it was sampled necessarily. Yeah. And so I remember, like, because I was playing a guitar, fairly like probably from about fifteen. Right. And I used. To, I remember learning full clip by Gangstar on the guitar. Nice. And being like, how the fuck do you play this? Like. Sorry, don't know if I swear or not. I swear like you. Okay, cool. cool. Can't all really <laughs> out, but it doesn't matter. Um, all right, we can all relax now. Um, I was like, yeah, how'd you play this? And it was like I realised, okay, this isn't someone playing a guitar. This is this is a chopped up funk loop from somewhere. Yeah. And it's Premier bashing the MPD. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And then I was like, oh, so that's kind of that's that sound. That's that choppy, funky hip hop sound. Yeah. That I just assumed because I didn't know. That that was a band player, or like that was a guitarist, and yeah, you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Didn't, and then that that's what made me really kind of yeah interested in discovering where it did come from. You know what I mean? Yeah. So did you like? Were you kind of interested in making music at that point? Like you're playing Definitely. guitar, were you then like, right? How do I? I want to make that. I want to go and do that. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. How did actually, that like manifest itself in Bristol at the time? Um. So that didn't come until a little bit later, probably. So when I was at yeah, when I was at secondary school, I did really want to make music. So it's more about joining bands. Yeah. Because I didn't really understand recording or. Well, I guess technology wasn't that freely available. Certainly not in no, schools or this anything is, like. So this is what are we talking like early two thousands now, probably aren't we? Yeah. When I'm at sixteen, yeah. So late nineties, early two thousands. So yeah, like what we've got accessible to us now was far less accessible. Yeah. When yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember, yeah, so it was bands, really. It was just like rubbish bands, rubbish school bands. Just <laughs> <laughs> shouting it out. <laughs> um, hang on, I'm trying to remember the name. Um, I was in a name called, in a band called Nimbus. Um, which Surely was, there's a band called Nimbus. It's got to be in there. Yeah. I think that was quite Green Day influenced. Because they had, didn't they have an album called that or something? Possibly. Or like a, yeah, I know, yeah. Um, that was with like my old mate Greg and uh, Ben Winter from school. That's early days. That's like 14 years old. And then, and then I think there was a few kind of things like that. And then it was the next band was my brother, right? And um, two of our mates from Bristol um, that my brother played football with. And that was the first band that was like remotely passable. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Actually, some of it was some, some. We did some pretty cool gigs, and I was playing bass. Yeah, um, and that was quite clashy. Right, it was quite like rock meets dub. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. that's what we tried to do anyway. Like yeah. dub reggae, Bristol sound system. Do you know what I mean? There's a lot of reggae and dub in Bristol, and you're kind yeah, of yeah. quite subjected to that sound. So it's like, but we were kind of like into our rock as well. So yeah, it's trying to do that clashy thing. You know, when they I think they met Don Letts or something, didn't they? And then yeah. sort of got loads of reggae influence, that kind of thing. And that was the first time we gigged sort of semi-seriously. Right. 
Um, and then it was a four track, tape four track, a Tascam, Tascam thing. So that was the first in of like, oh, well, I don't necessarily need a band. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, do don't have to rely on other people. Yeah, you can just, I remember like rubbish sounding recordings, but like bouncing like loads of tracks on the four track tape thing. Yeah. You remember them? Yeah, 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 you, yeah. The only way to get more than four tracks yeah, is to keep getting on to layer track. it up. Yeah, yeah. And there was no going back after that. No, it that's just, it. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. Um, yeah, man. And then Cubase SX3. I think that was like my first kind of. What computer would that have been? That was on like. <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> that was on like an old PC that I think. Right. My dad had kind of acquired from his job or something yeah. we had at home like the family computer you know? acquired yeah seems a bit like fingered you're off <laughs> no, no I think it's you know old stock or whatever like yeah nah um, maybe that's telling more about my upbringing than yours <laughs> like it <laughs> so what happened um, we'll get back to technology I'm sure um, but what about like what happened after school did you go to university or uh, yeah what yeah mean? so school uh, college um, college was really good. That was when I actually did, I didn't do very well in it, but I did an AS level in music tech. Right. And that was where I met a lot of rappers and stuff. Yeah. And we actually, that was like, I always wanted to do live hip hop. And that was, a, that was like the first time we actually pulled it off, was when I was about 17 in college. Some of the rappers were pretty good as well. Yeah, oh, I'm and, sure. And we did that full clip tune, you know, yeah, with yeah. like the horn section and stuff. Like, there was like an after, after lesson jazz sort of band and to be honest I can't play jazz now I couldn't then <laughs> but like <laughs> I played jazzy stuff but I remember going to it and Pete Judge who's this trumpet player from Brisbane brilliant guy he's really good at um, sort of I definitely wasn't the best guitarist then and he's really good at kind of making you play more creatively if you haven't necessarily got the technique right brilliant trumpet player as well yeah, like yeah. very very capable in jazz but keeps it quite straight up in his music and that was real like that was wicked that was kind of like don't have to be traditional in your approach to music you know yeah that was a good time um, and then uni down here in Brighton oh right you came in yeah, you came, came in Brighton from uni. Uni. Yeah. and what did you study there linguistics English language and linguistics okay why did you choose that no, really. Uh, <laughs> I, I chose it because um, I think I was good at English, basically. Right. I got an English A level and I did quite well in my English GCSE. And I think there is, I don't know, I, I re- genuinely really wanted to do music. Like for college, I nearly went to Access to Music in Bristol. Oh, right, yeah. Um, but for whatever reason, I think, I think I thought that's like committing to music then, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Right. Whereas I think it was a conversation with my mum actually. <laughs> she was like, maybe you should do this instead, which was probably a good idea. Um, but so I did A levels, and then and then I kind of just I think I just played to my strengths really. Kind of like know, yeah. yeah, just thought I'd do that. And, and speech therapy kind of came into my mind at one point. Thought yeah. maybe I could because I think from a linguistics degree you can go on to do. I think for over two or three years and, yeah. then, and then become a speech therapist. Yeah, that makes and sense. And that kind of always always kind of appealed to me as well. So then what was happening in Brighton at that time when you got here? Like, what was the... Whoops. <laughs> um, what was happening in Brighton? So when was that? It was 2008. So no. the, the sort of bubble birth, the fat boy slim thing had probably died out a bit by then, hadn't it? And... Yeah, that had kind of happened, although he did do uh, one or two of those big 
DJ sets down on a beach, I think. Were you around for those? I think I was around for not the one which was out of hand, but there was yeah. another one, wasn't there, which was like a little bit more pleasing. I remember going to that. Yeah. Um, that was cool. Uh, what else was going on? There was Zap was still here. Right. When I was when I first moved to Brighton. Obviously Concord 2. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like I still I was still really much more into the live music thing. Right. I remember going to like Jim, you know, Casablanca's still there, going strong. It is still. The I've same never band been still in playing there. there as well. Um, the, I think it's a Wednesday night band. It looks so shit from outside, but I, I mean, it is a bit. But I need <laughs> I like to go. It. I need to I like go it, there. Man. And there's always good musicians there, right? Yeah, I bet there is. It's like a bit of a breeding ground for a lot of the Brighton session musicians yeah. who just keep that gig regular. Yeah, and a lot of them kind of because I don't think it's the best paid gig in town I can't imagine it is do you know what I mean but they just do it almost just to stay sharp yeah and there's always brilliant musicians down there yeah, every yeah. Wednesday every Saturday I think it's the same and that same band's still doing it from when I first really moved to Brighton yeah Sammy Sarfas and his brother um oh, it's gone now but there's a couple of musicians still there still in that band doing it oh, that's interesting and they're brilliant absolutely amazing so I used to go there a lot um and then, yeah, kind of, yeah, being a student's weird though, because you don't. How do you mean? Well, you're kind of, you don't know the town, right? Yeah. And you're kind of sold all these awful student things, like come to the school discos, you know what I mean? And like yeah, all yeah. these things that are kind of made for you. Yeah. And where you don't know the town, it's like, well, I don't know, how to, know where to go to find the spot. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't know anyone, because I'm not getting to know anyone well enough yet to know what people are into do you know what yeah. I mean this is like in the first year so it took me a little while to kind of get into what was happening in Brighton in a more serious way I guess but True Forks have always been here haven't they and kind of um, always done some local stuff yeah I guess so Rob always yeah. does his nights but were you, were you sort of was that on your radar like definitely on my radar and... yeah I wasn't when I was a student so much I don't think I'm not sure if he was doing one then actually because I heard about before I moved here there was Phonic Hoop, wasn't it? Phonic? No? Am I making that up? Nice, nice. I don't know. He was doing a night before I moved here that I hear about. He was like the breeding ground of a lot of the original True Force artists. This would have been like 20 years ago now. Yeah, yeah. Um, Quantic used to come down regularly, Bonobo, people like that. Nostalgia 77, the early days of True Force. Yeah. And I think this night was kind of, they'd all come and DJ as kind of regular sort of residencies. Yeah. And I don't know if that was happening when I moved here. I think maybe they were, they were at a point where they'd maybe outgrown that a little bit and they were going yeah. elsewhere. But yeah, so it was actually really just developing when I was in uni. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I guess that gives you a bit of time and space to sort of find things and yeah. to do stuff. Yeah, 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 totally. Before you sort of like end up. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Well, what happened after? Did you sort of like leave uni, get a job? Yeah, so I left uni um, and just worked in loads of bars, like just quick, quick whatever jobs I could find. And then I was still, I was always playing. Do you know what I mean? I was playing. We actually, do you remember Gemini, which is on the beach? It's now called Brighton Music Hall. Oh, that place—the one that has the live music outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The singers murdering. <laughs> well-known songs every weekend yeah, yeah. I so, know it yeah I've... so back when I was in uni and just after except um, just want to in case Alex is listening except Alex except I don't know she Alex. only sings Does she brilliantly sing song yeah. Yeah. <laughs> brilliant <laughs> disclaimer <laughs> yeah sorry Alex <laughs> but uh, yeah it has gone a bit like that but they used to have original bands down there yeah and this band I'm talking to you about the Casablanca's residence bands are down there and um 
it was pretty good there and we used, I used to play an original kind of reggae dubby sort of thing right. down there so it's a lot of like little pockets and live music nights or local sort of funk nights and then it's a band called the EME who were like, like brilliant that was just after uni yeah and that was kind of like this kind of, I guess a bit like Ezra Collective actually that okay. sort of sound you know what I mean hip hop meets jazz and a little bit of Afro beat that kind of thing they're great aren't they awesome band brilliant yeah really good yeah so we were kind of trying to do that but we weren't really serious enough about it I think the best we kind of got we played Love Supreme played the arena stage there which really? was a cool gig for us wow. and then we did um, supported Hiatus Coyote, Coyote yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, down here and then we sort of got to a point where it was like right let's get serious and then that's when I got the Alice Russell gig and then a drummer uh, I think he was in like this math rock band yeah Delva Sleep brilliant um, and they started touring internationally our sax player is in Black Peaks Brighton sort of heavy sort of rock heavy metal bands right. um, they're really successful yeah, saxophonist but he's also a lead singer in that band oh right I was going to say um, there's not a lot of room for saxophonists mm. do you know what he did play the sax in, did he? in Black Peaks once or twice yeah <laughs> I'd love to see that yeah so it's like that and then all the other musicians and like Abs who does loads of local kind of soul nights here yeah. he also does a show on 1BTN doesn't yeah, he yeah. Um, and just everyone kind of got really busy doing other things and then we all kind of peeled off but yeah. that so was... then go back to this Alice Road like what happened there how did that develop so that was um, that was from um, there's a producer called Jimmy Day who shares um, our TM Duke studio right. I think they've been sharing for a few quite a few years now yeah and I'd done a few sessions with Jimmy. He does quite a lot of sync music, like advert music and stuff. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Um, or other projects, like he's done this Payphone Disco, do you know? That? No. It's really good, I think you like it. Payphone give it to you. Disco. Payphone, they're called, yeah, yeah. Right. It, it was this guy called Phil Pacera. That's wicked, like super sludgy, boogie disco stuff, really cool. <laughs> right. um, but Jimmy Day co produced some of that. Right. And I played a bit of guitar on that. Yeah. Anyway, so he just recommended me basically to Al who, was, who he was sharing the studio yeah. with gave me a call and I was obviously like yeah wicked so that was just like session player or was that on like touring that was touring yeah that was so I wasn't studio stuff no that was te- depping in for Al Al usually does it he writes everything with Alice yeah and or normally plays a guitar on the tour um, so I was depping in for him <laughs> there's always out. one interruption <laughs> every time I record this hold tight hello yeah sorry I couldn't reply I'm doing this interview with Joe but it's alright because every in, every episode of this interview gets one interruption that we record and I leave it <laughs> so you're the interruption this time Got, yes, I'll hey, pick the kids up. Alright, see you in a bit. Alright, apologies. No worries, mate. But it'll stay in though, because it's become a feature. Yeah, that's what we do, right? Casual. Yeah. <laughs> got the dog here, she might pipe up here a bit. She might do. She does this funny, like, her jaw rattles a bit. Yeah, she was just doing that. And, uh, yeah. yeah, it's an odd thing. Kind yeah. of throws people off a little bit. Yeah, it was a bit odd. Adam Buxton has a dog in his podcast, so fuck it. That's alright then. Yeah. It's alright, yeah. he's like the king, isn't he? <laughs> Right, it's back to Alice Russell then. So you're touring. Yeah, so yeah, depping dep dep for hours, playing the guitar and bash, button bashing, which was fun, like little samples and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was it, man. And then, yeah, did did like 
originally it was Dare to Dust album. Honestly, right. to Dust that was the last album she did. And so I picked up like halfway through that tour. Yeah. Which was wicked. And yeah, man, that was awesome. Like, I didn't really ever take playing that seriously. And then that really made me kind of be like, right. Got to focus. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because Alice Russell was such a good singer, you know, that you need to be a good player, really. Yeah, but how does that work then? So you're like offered this gig and you've got to be like, okay, right, I've got to kind of laugh other things off or do you just go, right, I'm going on holiday for a couple of weeks, but actually you're going on tour. Like, how do you sort of balance that with... With everything else? Yeah. Well, when when I first started doing it, I was 24, 25. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter, does it? No, I I didn't. I didn't, you know, I had a girlfriend, but we didn't live together. And my work was like, I was working at DV8, which is a college around here. Yeah, yeah. And they were pretty cool. Most of the people they employ are musicians who are working in the industry anyway. So they're sort of so they're pretty they're understanding. geared up to letting people go. Off yeah, exactly that. Yeah, yeah, like, and they can get cover and stuff. So, and it was, it wasn't like, I think the longest we were on the road was two weeks. Yeah, something like that. And then the UK stretch was kind of, you know, Manchester on Friday, the following Friday, Birmingham. It wasn't yeah, like yeah. an actual tour, no, tour if you know. Back to back. Yeah, so it kind of worked. Um, that was a crazy year though, man, because I was getting my teaching. Um, qualifications as well that's right yeah um, which is mental <laughs> so I was teaching that's four a fair, days that's a week that's two separate poles isn't it completely yeah how do you yeah. balance that um, well again like I didn't I didn't have kids or anything like that um, so just being busy all the time just being really busy all the time but also working at DVA Jimmy who I mentioned earlier yeah he was the, how I got into teaching was being a support tutor so I was kind of in charge of all the pastoral stuff sorry I'm going off on all kinds of tangents here aren't I no it's good (laughs) tangents are um, good yeah it's fun isn't it it's quite nice it feels like I'm in therapy (laughs) Um, (laughs) but um, so yeah like Jimmy was kind of in terms of production my mentor yeah so I was at DVA as a pastoral role but also because I was a musician so it's kind of like a support as a musician yeah not really as 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 a producer yeah so I was there to look after them and help with the music, uh, live music side. Jimmy was the produ- production teacher. Yeah. So I learned all my, to, to be honest, like most of my production knowledge yeah. comes from working at DVA yeah. and being the support here in Jimmy Day's class. That's quite an interesting, probably not many people come through that. Yeah. Like, yeah, can't it's nuts. reference that as their sort of breeding ground. Yeah. And he's like, he's a super, like, well uh, marinated producer he's actually got credits on that mezzanine album Does it? Massive Attacks Mezzanine yeah yeah it's a nice little circle yeah there we go in the there, circle there? yeah exactly um, and all kinds of stuff like that do you know what I mean yeah and so where were we going man so that was what was happening so I was getting an education that's right so the joy of that job and getting my teaching qualification was that I was kind of getting an education whilst educating do you know what I mean yeah, meta yeah. but I was learning so much through working with Jimmy Day. Yeah. And then it got to the point where they started asking me to cover sessions. Yeah, of course. And then, I don't know if you've ever, have you ever taught? What? Um, I help out down at um, um, Audio Active. Okay, right, yeah. So okay. it's not Similar really thing. teaching, but it's kind of... workshop Yeah, it's yeah. sort of helping people and it is imparting some yeah. knowledge, which Facilitating, I guess is teaching, sort of, yeah. in a sense. So... I don't know if you had this, but when I was teaching, it really made any knowledge I had just solidified. Yeah. Because you you would be teaching a session or someone would ask you a question or how do you make a beat or how do you do beat programming or whatever. Yeah. I'd be like, 
I saw Jimmy do a lesson on that last week. This was literally it. This was how I got in. Do you know what I mean? It was yeah. literally last week's lesson were being recycled into lessons I was covering the next week. Yeah, so yeah. It was the re- the way I managed to pull it off. I think is because that was so valuable to me. I knew that that I was getting so much from working there. Yeah. Not just getting paid to teach and everything like that and getting a qualification, but also learning how to be a producer. Yeah. You know I mean, I mean? I I really find that when I'm sort of helping students out it really makes me question like you know sort of settling like do I actually know what I'm talking about yeah. is this just bollocks I'm coming yeah. out with but yeah. then when you sort of explain it to them and explain why it gives you that confidence to like yeah. actually no I do know what I'm doing I think totally. it's a really valuable experience isn't it kind Absolutely, of teaching man. other people what it, you know it solidifies the knowledge you already have yeah and it also makes you realise actually how much you do have because when you break it down to the, you think right, oh Chris, make a beat. Yeah. You don't have to think twice about it, right? You just get, you just set off and just there you go. go. You know exactly. It's like automatic mode. Yeah. But that is wizardry to people that don't know how to do that. Yeah. Isn't it? You yeah. know, and you're just like oh, that's second nature. Yeah. And so it really makes you break down. What am I doing? You know what I mean? Yeah. Why do I do it? Like why this? am I doing it like this? And then, but yeah. So teaching really, it's really good for making you. Yeah. Think about what you're doing, and also that joy of like like when a student has this like just raw creativity and they don't know how to program beats they don't know about 16 32 you know subdivisions of beats yeah. and stuff like that and the stuff they come up with it's like oh I need to remember just to do that sometimes as well when I'm making tunes yeah just in the fuck all the rules yeah what feels good what sounds good do you know what I mean because yeah, that's what they're doing yeah. really you know so it's a good it's two way thing really yeah it's, it's, cool. it's really important so Okay, so when when so you were sort of teaching, when were you sort of like firing up to sort of be making your own stuff and serious about that? So that, to be honest, has been on the back burner for ages. Like, but there was always, you know, there's always like little barriers. Like, I was told you about my dad's computer. I could make a tune on it, and then I think it conked out, and that was that. And that was <laughs> Cubase SX3 gone. Yeah, never to be seen again. Yeah, yeah. None of my projects exist anymore okay that's that for now like forget about it yeah that was at about 16 and then it was like didn't you need a hard, quite a good computer to have a decent like to run this well stuff, i guess at the you? time you did you did you? at the time yeah. yeah this was it and it was expensive like yeah. you can run it on quite not very good computers these days like ableton runs really well doesn't it well you pick you you know get an old refurb laptop yeah and exactly you'll be get fine. a cracked copy yeah. happy days <laughs> you know <laughs> you can it is more accessible and I think I was just on that brink of it becoming so accessible but it wasn't yeah and so it's like never you know living in Brighton it was like not particularly well paid jobs you never quite had that funding to be like right now I'm going to get that computer that I need to you know and that happened I think finally got there I think it was in my as I just left uni or my third year of uni I managed to sort it out and get a copy of Logic yeah um, I mean, that was, it was fucking expensive back then. It was yeah. like, you know, it came in the big box and everything, yeah. didn't it? Yeah, well, it was a cracked copy. Right. Because that was 500 quid, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, for yeah. A proper That's copy. what I mean. Oh, no, it wasn't cracked, you know. Thanks to Deviate, it was actually one of their licenses. Nice. So I bought one of their licenses of Logic 9. It, there's a, there's a, like a light version. Yeah. And it was on Logic 8, that was it. And there was like a gold version. Right. Um, which Logic um, Deviate had loads of licenses for. So I, that's how I got Logic finally. Nice. Um, and then, and then it was like, right, finally, all of those other ideas, and this, this is probably early 20s now, Yeah, I can actually start 
doing this. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And that was that was kind of where I started getting a bit more serious. And then it was the first. I did loads of beat tapes for this thing called um, like hip hop. You know, yeah. For Pragmatic Theory, who were right. really cool. They've yeah. done loads of compilations of producers from all over the world. Hip hop beats, you know, that kind of whole beat thing. Yeah. Um, this was when like that beat making thing was really it's still there isn't it now but it is beats, yeah. and it's huge now isn't it but like you know like um, pre Catronada yeah kind of like post Dilla right you know what I mean yeah post Flying Lotus all of a sudden everyone was making beats yeah do you know what I mean like wonky Dilla yeah 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 so that was what I was trying to do yeah and that was I got one or two things including on these like compilations that Pragmatic Fear we were doing and then it was, and then I heard that um, kind of through that Onra's eighties album, Long Distance. I don't know that. It's really cool. Right. It's all samples of bands like um, SOS bands, slowed right down. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? To like 80, 90 BPM from about one hundred and ten. Yeah, yeah. But really tastefully, like on probably analog gear, like really yeah. nicely done. And so you, know, you get all that like, you know, that kind of tape saturation. Yeah. Slowed down. And it's just like this meaty, all those synths just start sounding amazing when you do that, you know what I mean? So that was like, right, I want to make that, but I don't want to sample, do you know what I mean? That was the beginnings of what I'm doing now, I guess. Yeah. And I don't want to use samples, but I want to make that meaty, synthy, easy sound. Yeah. So then I got a tune signed to Tokyo Dawn Records. Right. Who based in Germany. Yeah. So they're like... That's kind of that was what they were doing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. At the time, it's like future funk. I think people were calling it, and like, you know, Dame Funk is obviously like kind of pioneer of that kind of sound. You know, like eighties influenced funk now. You know. Yeah. How does that it feel when you think right? I've got a tune signed. Like, do you think right? This is it. It's gonna fucking kick off for me. Or do you do you never feel like that confident that you think like your career's just started? I knew, you know I mean? do you know what? I really wanted it to feel like that because I was like, Tokyo Dawn's a solid label. Um, and I wanted to do an EP, and there was like, right, that's a proper compilation. It's not like a beat tape thing. It's, yeah. a, it's an actual compilation that got released properly, you know. Um, so that was great, yeah, man. First proper contract, do you know what I mean? And yeah. stuff like that. And so it does feel like, right, this is, but I was very aware, it was like, this is just the first step. Yeah. There's so much more work to be done. And that came out in 2013. I didn't actually do anything properly until 2000. Well, I finished my album and gave it to True Thoughts in 2014, but it didn't come out until 2015. Right. Um, and that's like also a bit of an insight into how long this can take, isn't it? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. How long it takes a label to release music sometimes as well. I could just be sat there. Yeah. Um, because of whatever process they feel they need to go to, you know. So how 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 then did you get hooked up with True Thoughts and what you know what was the expectations there? So that was through, um, I met Paul, it was the Alice tour. Right. 2014. Yeah. End of 2013, maybe? I don't know, around that. Mm-hmm. And um, that came about because I met Paul at that at the Alice show in Brighton, which I wasn't actually playing on, because LTM right. Duke was well enough, he was quite ill then. He was well enough to come down and just do that show, so I yeah. just went to it instead. And I met Paul and got chatting and just said, look, I'm, I've been touring with Alice, I've been writing some music. It'd be great to send it through and yeah. sort of like see what you think of it. And and then and then yeah, met, I didn't meet Rob, but Paul was like, just send it to Rob. I had this EP, five tracks it was. Yeah, one of the tracks was included on that Tokyo Dawn compilation I told right. you about. Um, 
And then, yeah, Rob was just like, I'm into this, but, I mean, have you met, you know, Rob, he's I've just mad Rob, busy. Yeah. I think he's, yeah. rec- he's receiving music all the time, isn't he? And he's yeah. got a massive roster already on True Thoughts, you know, yeah. so the amount of music that man receives is probably ridiculous, you know. And he was just like, I'm into this, but please just hassle me because I'll probably forget about it. He's really honest about it, which I really, really was into straight away, actually. Um, and then finally, he got around to sort of being like, right, let's do an EP, yeah. digital EP. And then it was a happy accident, really, that it turned into an album. Because, um, yeah, it was like digital EP, let's see what happens. I wasn't that confident about being a solo artist. It was kind of new to me, do you know what I mean? And then yeah. it was like, okay, let's just do an EP and see where that goes. And... Yeah, so the thing that was signed to True Thoughts couldn't, uh, sorry, Tokyo Dawn, couldn't be included because yeah. of the contract. Rob yeah. saw the contract, he was like, we can't release this, sorry mate, have you got any other tunes? So I sent him like four other demos, like, unfinished stuff, and he liked it all. Brilliant. So at this wow. point we had like eight tunes. Yeah. Let's do an album. And that was wicked, because I was like, quality. And then he was like, do you want to do a free album deal with us? So I was like, shit. <laughs> Serious, that, that's it? mental yeah. you know what I mean I, was, I couldn't believe it to be honest with you so wicked. that must that must give you some sort of confidence if someone's take you know someone obviously with the standards of Rob yeah man yeah, like yeah totally believing you in that much that yeah. they think you know you've got that much music in you that's going to be that the world deserves to listen that must be quite an amazing feeling especially when you word it like that yeah <laughs> have you that never was, thought man. about it like that I haven't, I haven't thought about it like that actually um but no, no, it really was. It really was. It was. It was. A, it was honestly a dream come true, and yeah. it was. Um, and I'd known about True Thoughts for a long time as well, because yeah. um, I had lots of music that was released by them, you know. Yeah, yeah. Of and obviously, I'd been touring with Alice, so yeah, um, yeah it was amazing, man. And but it really spanned me out because I was, you know, beat tape here, one tune for a compilation here, maybe an EP here, and then album. Honestly, did probably, it come with like a, a fucking truckload of pressure? And did that have any like effect on your sort of creative? Sort of, yeah, yeah, sort of, yeah, yeah, it did actually because it was like whoa, three albums. And do they do as a label or does any label do they kind of help coach you through that or is it literally like off you go? Not really, not no. really. It's kind of like off you go. And actually, I think that's a really good thing to bring up actually because I think no one's educated about that. No. unless people go to say BIM or that's quite a modern phenomenon anyway like yeah, music education yeah, yeah. as we know it now it's only really happened in the last sort of 15 years something yeah. like that yeah. so unless you're educated by these things which a lot of musicians aren't especially the business side of it then it, yeah it can really really spin you out and I did have a really dark period actually after the first album right. um, that was natural because that had been kind of being written for quite a long time yeah, well, they say just, that, don't they? Like yeah. the first album's like your whole life, and then yeah. the next album's yeah. like a year. So, to- so true. Even though that first album effectively was kind of only been written for say two years in total, it was your whole life's experience working up to that point, wasn't yeah. it? Of wanting to do music, right? Yeah, yeah. And then yeah, so like, and then it was like, right, there's two more albums on the contract, and then they kind of were encouraging me to do an album for Abby Flynn. At this point, it was just too much. It was yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, it was just like, unfortunately, me and Abby didn't finish an album. I could only do an EP, right. just because of various reasons, like pressure, musical differences, or whatever. Not really differences, but she wanted this big band sound, and I was like, I'm a, I'm a one producer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I think I don't think she, and I think she'd agree with it. She didn't have a full understanding of what it was to be like. Okay, you want a horn section? Great, let's write the parts, but that requires 
probably funding to like get some players in or yeah, favours yeah, or yeah, you know yeah, what I mean. So it's like, yeah, sure. yeah. So there was there was a bit of a miss. I think she was perhaps a bit naive about that whole process, and I was relatively new to it, having been like, you know, guy just in my room with my instruments, being a producer, not really working with bands or anything. Yeah. You know what I mean, so it didn't really work out, and it was too much pressure and. But it's all right now because I've just finished my second album. <laughs> uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, and you just get through all that stuff, don't you, yeah. man? You know. Has um, it felt like more of a like a process the second one, or was it did it did it sort of come to fruition as as the first one did? Um, I think like I it, so I was trying to write an album which and in, in I think 2017 around trying to produce an album for Abby around doing the live show and all these other things I'm doing too much yeah I've, I've got a habit of that do you know what I mean um, and teaching and everything like that but um, it wasn't like coherent at all so it ended up being two different EPs right. one on True Thoughts one on Midnight Riot and right, they okay. both came out in oh no sorry I did a follow up EP in 17 2017 and then I did two in, in 18 yeah but the idea was for kind of those three things to be an album yeah yeah but it just all got a bit jolted and you know just didn't happen yeah albums are quite it turns out quite hard to make <laughs> well if, ever, if, you know, if they weren't everyone would be doing it right. yeah this is it um and that was kind of cool and i think i was you know i felt the pressure i had a lot of dj bookings and some live bookings and that was cool and i was like oh man i need to get some new music out to keep these bookings coming in because yeah. i started relying on it yeah, to yeah. live and also i've got i had a stepchild by this point yes of course obviously you know so so is that break into like oh right this is actually my career yeah do you know what I mean and the pressure's that brought because it's not like me in my shared house working in bars playing the odd gig for money yeah but really just messing about so is there ever a conscious decision to kind of right this is going to be my full time gig as it were I'm going to be a musician for, for I think as a I think career. it was always something I wanted to do yeah but there was always that reality check of keep that teaching qualification coming in yeah. keep working in bars or doing whatever you need to do to, to, to make money do you yeah. know what I mean yeah. um, because I, I would think I was always aware of how difficult it was to actually live off of music especially now Yeah. because people aren't really buying so well people are buying vinyl aren't they again apparently but not in not in the same way that you used to not in a meaningful way do you know yeah. what I mean it's more because yeah Okay, well, we're sort of up to date with your career, and so we can turn our attention to the current state of music, which is okay. the Yeah, which is the whole point of us being here, right? Kind of yeah. the point, yeah. And um, so I want to know kind of where music is right now. You've just obviously said it's hard to make money, but when obviously you first get into music, or like when you first got into music, it was still the time where it wasn't downloadable and people were making lots of money so kind of you yeah. come from an era where it could be an attractive thing and you think yeah, yeah maybe other people do so why can't I yeah. but as obviously that's gone along and your career's flourished that sort of equation has tipped on its head so when you're thinking yeah I still quite fancy being a professional musician yeah is it sort of tapered with a fuck I've timed this wrong because <laughs> yeah man like absolutely. it's going to be difficult to make like a living out of it yeah yeah but I think that's a bit of a yeah yeah there, that does definitely come into my head yeah like I think even though I'm definitely not like a massive artist right now I get the impression that if I was on a similar level to what I am I probably wouldn't have to teach right say if I was doing this in the 90s early yeah. 90s yeah I imagine that's probably a fair bet would you 
I don't know, really. Yeah, probably, because you, you can kind of put out a 12 that might be of interest and you sell a couple of thousand copies because yeah. people are buying 12s. Yeah, and that's, that's decent, the only way you could DJ, right? Yeah, and, and that's a decent yeah. chunk of money, isn't it? Yeah, Whereas yeah, now, 2,000 downloads is fuck all. Nothing. So 2,000 streams, nothing. Yeah, exactly, that's the point, right? So you could, or I would, I would have to do other things much less than I am currently, do you know yeah. what I mean? Um, so yeah, man, like that definitely, what was the original question we were talking about? harder to make a career out of it yeah 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 definitely. what's the reality of it kind of now um is so, it nicer because it's more connected up you can be in contact with people that like your music easier you know like what's yeah. the sort of pluses and minuses really i think all of that's true definitely like you can be like in contact with people directly through social media and stuff like that um, do you do you participate much in social media like that? I'm trying to more. I yeah. didn't do for, like when I did my first album. I wasn't even on it. I don't think. No. Um, and then I was kind of encouraged by True Thoughts, and I think probably rightly so to kind of be a bit more active on that because yeah. it does bring traffic and stuff. Then I think um, and kind of helps sell hopefully music and stuff. So I'm more active now. I do try and sort of actually think about that on a weekly basis. Yeah. And yeah, I think it does. I think it does. You know, no one had that in the 90s, did they? Or the early 2000s. And that's a nice thing. You've got a fucking sack of letters turn up on your doorstep yeah. every... I, yeah. I imagine. Like someone yeah, like probably. Gary Barlow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mum probably. opening letters for yeah. whatever it yeah. was. Yeah, probably was. Fucking it? burning them. She probably had like a bonfire <laughs> going all the time. <laughs> exactly. Or maybe emails, the odd email. But um, yeah, man, I think... This, I mean, the other argument is I wouldn't have been able to get into it as easy as... Yeah. You, like, back then, you know, like we just said, like, you can have a laptop, buy, like, second-hand laptop, 500 quid, download a copy of... dodgy copy of whatever it is you want to use to make music, you're in. Yeah. You can make a tune that could be the top of the fucking download list next week. Yeah. On that. You know what I mean? Whereas in the... Well, pre, like amazing like computer driven production stuff yeah you'd have to have so much more than that yeah, yeah. samplers were expensive man yeah like, there's a lot more barriers to entry. expensive like you know even when they first came out before they had like retro value yeah it's expensive like yeah, yeah, yeah. you know it's not as expensive now so I, I probably would have had to save up a lot more or try and convince someone to let me into their studio yeah before I could make that first record for example yeah. you know which was pretty much made on a computer and a few bits of guitar and stuff. Yeah. But then do you find that that's sort of tempered with there's just tons more music? Yeah, over, that's the other side of it, right? Yeah, 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 totally. Like, someone told me the amount of music that gets submitted and released on Spotify every day, and it's just insane, hundreds of thousands of pieces of music, you know what I mean? So, so how do you cut through all that? Like, how do you... How do I personally, yeah, when I'm listening to music? Yeah, above it, or... Well, when you're thinking about, right, I'm going to make some music, I'm going to release it, like, how do you... How do you sort of make yours stand out against other people's? Um, I'm not sure if I do consciously, but one thing I do try and do, especially and trying to do more and more, is uh, quality, man. It's like production yeah. quality, musicianship. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, I think I guess like something something that I do is that I don't use any samples. Right. So I. It's, if it sounds sampled it is from a session I did with a bassist friend or 
myself just playing loads of instruments and do you know yeah. what I mean? I, that's that's an approach I try and make, which hopefully makes my music more unique more unique than some people's. Yeah, yeah. Or you know, it's not just loops or out of the box, it's nothing like that. It's all the drums are programmed, do you know what I mean, from samples a lot of the time, but they're yeah. crafted in that crafted way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So and then it's just trying to produce it as well as you can, you know? Yeah. Um, and use use instruments that are good as quality as possible, like I try and use my Juno 106 for everything, like you know, and you get a certain quality of sound out of that kind of instrument, yeah. don't you? Which you won't necessarily from something out of the box. Yeah. You know. Do you think that that's because there's a big like analog kind of snobbishness as well? There isn't is, there? yeah, yeah. Where, yeah. where are you on that sort of argument? Just, I love, just use whatever to get something made, or yeah if, yeah, if it sounds good, it's good, right? Yeah, that's what that's my sort of opinion on it, really. And I, I listen to all kinds of different music. I don't know how all of it was made. Yeah, and if it sounds good, it sounds good. Um, and I I love using analog gear when I can. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Friend Jimmy Day again, bless him. Sometimes lets me use his SSL desk right. at his studio, and nice. some of the, some of his outboard gear, like beautiful compressors and some vintage gear and stuff. Yeah. But not everyone's got access to that all the time, you know. Right. It's quite expensive to have that access, you know. Um, so it's not always possible. But yeah, I think I like using it. I like yeah. the sound it creates. And I feel like I can hear it sometimes when I'm listening to other people's records. And you can kind of hear that kind of production with yeah. nice gear. But I don't think it's essential. And I'm, I'm not a snob. I, don't, I like to think I'm not a snob about it at all, really. And. Um I want to ask you about your DJing. Did that uh-huh. did that come before kind of making music, or is that as a byproduct of making stuff? Yeah, the second one. Right. Yeah, yeah. So DJing was something in Bristol, right? A lot of college friends had decks. Yeah. Hip hop records, like vinyl. Um, so I would mess about with my mate Jake from college using his records. Yeah. So it was something that that was kind of there from say sixteen, and it was it was something I always wanted to do. But again, you know, like. Really, you have to have turntables and collect vinyl, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. You know, and that wasn't really something I was prepared to do. It was like, oh, I'm kind of more into the guitar thing. Yeah. You know, it's kind of one or the other. Yeah. For me, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was like, I can't have decks yeah. and a guitar. I can't, you know, can't do that. So, um, that's kind of the decision maker there. But, um, yeah, so the DJing came later. Like, more more properly actually being a DJ. Was that post, post-releasing music, really. Was that because technology had made it easier to kind of do it? Yeah. And more accessible? Totally, man. Yeah, totally. So I always, when I DJ, I use tractor, vinyl control tractor. Yeah. Right? And I really, I do still like having that touch. Right. And partially because I haven't really learned how to use CDJs properly yet either. <laughs> but I was using it, so to get back into it, I was using a controller. Yeah. I got a controller for tractor, quick setup, brilliant at home. And then I was like, right, okay, DJing. And then I would use the vinyl when I'd go out to clubs okay. that had, you know, record players, yeah. you know, turntables. Um, and that was that, really. So, yeah, it was a byproduct and producing music. Does the DJing, does that kind of help increase your profile for your own music? I think so, yeah. Do you make a point of playing your own music when you play out? Just um, I spoke to Mr. Scruff about this. Okay. And he was like, he was saying that it's it's an option to play his own music uh-huh. and he has some like, yeah. in his crates yeah. but it's not a given that he's going to play any of his own music at all yeah. if it kind of fits the mood and everything then he'll play something but if it doesn't he won't yeah, yeah I thought that's quite yeah. interesting if, you know you would think you're going on tour you're playing out you're 
probably be hard not to drop something of your own just as a nod to yeah I make music and you can yeah. buy it sort of thing yeah. yeah I guess I guess I'm probably similar I think I think when I first started doing it you know as a solo artist I was quite like conscious of like right yeah you need to go out and play your tunes but they're not my tunes aren't always that dance floor friendly right either they're getting more so I think probably as a result of DJing so much well yeah that could be <laughs> could well be a yeah. thing couldn't it yeah um yeah, I mean, I think I'm probably of the same sort of thing. I think I probably realistically do drop in at least one or two of my remixes or my originals, but yeah. I, I'm, it's not something I'm like, I have to do that tonight. Yeah. Depends on the booking as well. Right. I think cool. if it's like, if it's a cheeky hour long set before someone like, say, Scruff playing, yeah. I'll definitely try and nip, cheekily play one of my tracks and hope that it pricks his ears. Yeah, up, yeah, you know yeah, yeah I mean? of course, yeah. You know, but it's all about timing, isn't it? And who your audience is and. Yeah. what time of day it is or night it is you know as well you know? do you get as much out of DJing as you do from like playing your own music live um, or is it I, just two completely separate experiences it's two different experiences definitely um, I will always I think prefer playing live but that said I've had some amazing experiences DJing right. and that's something that you can only do when you're DJing you can't yeah. do that as a live band can you no when you just drop the right tune or mix it the right thing and it just everyone it just goes off and it's lovely so yeah they're two different things man but live music I think first always definitely and but just before we finish I like to ask all the subjects of these interviews if they've got any advice for any sort of anybody listening who might fancy a career in music or like as a musician or a DJ or whatever just any kind of advice that you might impart that's maybe someone imparted to you once that has kind of remained relevant yeah definitely um, this is like a lot of a lot of the things that I still go by now is Jimmy, Jimmy Day is definitely like massive mentor to me yeah and I think but regardless of that one thing I'll come back to that <laughs> yeah. one thing I would like to say on that note is actually just really quietly getting on with it Right. sticking at it just sticking at it and quietly getting on with it yeah. you know what I mean if people are going to the pub staying in practice yeah. <laughs> easier said than done yeah, but absolutely. also big thing is surrounding yourself with the right people Right. and if you haven't got the education go and get it because yeah. people will give it to you man yeah, yeah. do you know what I mean like for a while I was just shadowing a friendly sound engineer I've met and was just like I want to learn how to EQ properly I want to learn how to and he just he was like yeah cool just have that right attitude yeah. you know with you I might be like how do you use that um, MOOC man can I come in and just chill with you and watch you use your synth mm. just there's most people you I can think, by the way oh, thank you mate <laughs> <laughs> appreciate that I'll, I'll take you up on that I think most people are actually really cool with that and really supportive of that if someone came up to me and said can I just come along and just sit there yeah. I won't be a nuisance whilst you make a tune yeah. I'll be like absolutely I might make you make me tea or something yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah fucking right man you know and I think most most decent people you probably have the right attitude if, if the time's right and you don't mind someone sitting in yeah and you can learn so much I think I'm a I'm a, a learner by watching and doing and I think a lot of people are do you think there's musicians. just to expand on that do you think there's a little myth that people are afraid to ask because of this elevated status that like musicians or people's studios or whatever might mm -hmm. 
people think that somehow that's a a position people put themselves in and they're not open to that yeah because everybody I've ever asked for help from as, as you said has always been like yeah wicked yeah come along yeah. you know come on yeah yeah actually totally. you know like they're, they're pleased yeah yeah but people don't ask because they're worried about the reaction they might totally, get man. or I, I have not asked so many times because I've I put people on this pedestal yeah I still do do yeah. you know what I mean and that's like the worst thing you can do really I think because yeah. you're like well, well they're just humans so. and they would probably really appreciate a little conversation with you yeah about the process or do you know what I mean yeah um, they're nerds like yeah 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 or just, they want to talk about the it. education's out there man music's something that I don't think you need to go to school for obviously if you're going to be a proper musician and know your shit then you need to go and practice that somehow yeah. or get taught that but like I think production if you can surround yourself with the right people you can learn how to produce on logic right yeah and like I just think it's really accessible I think you can you can learn from the environment around you just watch bands isn't it? watch MCs watch DJs yeah. just watch them it's yeah. all there in front of you do you know what I mean Yeah. and it's just you're like acquiring that you know copying what they're doing and then trying <laughs> to do it in your own style later yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? um, so that would be my advice definitely and just sticking at it you know it's not you don't make a hit in a night do you <laughs> no you make a you hit don't. you might never make a hit no. but your first release might not happen until 10 years after you've got into it you know what I mean yeah absolutely you know. and you were going to go back to Jimmy Day right Jimmy. yeah 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 finding a mentor definitely like he has given me so much advice over the years and I'm yeah. someone you know you know me I'm into all kinds of different music yeah, and yeah. I would like to make and I do make loads of different kinds of music but one of the pieces of advice he gave me was if you want to be an artist and you want to get somewhere then it's probably worth sticking to a certain vibe for a bit right before you branch out to your dub album yeah <laughs> or your like psych rock album yeah because people need to get you first and that's how people consume music they need a, they need a handle to it. grab hold of you by. exactly yeah exactly and that's worked out for me to some degree yeah this next album's quite eclectic right and I think that is a point of concern for labels yeah do you know what I mean but I think it's got the funk throughout yeah and that's something it's I kind of known for it's got the vein running through exactly it, yeah and I probably wouldn't be able to get away with this record if it wasn't for stuff I'd done before. Right, okay. Yeah, Do you know sense. what I mean? And then yeah. hopefully I can branch out more in my next record. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, <laughs> you know. that's what you hope, given somebody wants you to develop. I guess if they're giving you a three-album deal, they want some sort of yeah. development. Or certainly, yeah. like, you know, someone like Robin Paul, they want some development, don't they? They don't Definitely, just want, like, man. three albums yeah. of the same I mean, stuff. And positively encourage it, man. And yeah. actually, I gave the music they didn't sign they could have done and it was signable music and someone else might have released it and someone else did in fact did they? some of it yeah right. Midnight Riot that's not to say it was bad music but it just wasn't Robin Paul friendly yeah it just wasn't and really. that was more of my DJ follow down the line disco boogie stuff do you know yeah. what I mean yeah and that was great that they helped me develop in that way man yeah, really. yeah. and give you the time freedom I was angry, to do that. <laughs> but actually <laughs> you realise in the long run there's a quality bar there so. yeah and or a vibe bar there so. do you know what I mean and, yeah and they're not just going to sign it because you're signed to them yeah and that's a good thing you know it made me certainly go back to the drawing board you know that's a hard lesson to learn isn't it definitely kind of man. suck that up and definitely. then go right okay yeah I've got to learn something from this definitely yeah yeah okay well that's a really good note to finish on I think Wicked. thank you Joe nice one Chris it's been good to ch- chat to you man it's genuinely pleasure. good to chat to you I haven't felt like I've been on the mic all the time it's like <laughs> quite kind of not everyone's good at that man well that's what I aim for yeah nice one man So there we go, an hour in the company of Mr. Jay Felix. He's got some new music out now. If you check the links on the SoundCloud page for the current state of music, you'll find the links to his music there. 
and uh, some of his DJ gigs as well. He plays at the Horse and Green in London quite regularly. He's always does a residency down here at Patterns in Brighton as well. And I'll post links to all that stuff where you can see him. So I want to say thanks for Joe for coming in. It's an absolute pleasure to kind of get to sort of sit and chat with sort of people that you've worked with, but you've never sort of found the time to actually dig a little deeper. So that was a real pleasure on a sunny afternoon to uh, chat fraff, as Arrow put it in the last episode. So if you are enjoying this, uh, it would be great. As always, everyone says at the end of every podcast, if you could like, subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, all that kind of stuff. If you are finding it inspiring, if it's kind of inspiring you to kind of maybe start your own journey in the music business or to even just change something in your life, then uh, if you mention that in the reviews, because we might not have loads of reviews, but if I can show real positive ones to uh, artists that I'm approaching, then obviously that carries a bit more weight. Everyone would like to feel that they're inspiring or doing something to help somebody. And I think especially in the music industry, it seems to have like this edifice of nobody helps anybody else, but it's actually incredibly not that way. And people are really helpful. And if they feel like they're doing something good, then that kind of motivates people more. I think it's more motivated by that kind of thing than it is by sort of material gain. Well, that's what I'm finding out through the series of these conversations we're having. So yeah, please like and subscribe and do all that stuff. You know the drill, you listen to podcasts. So yeah, thanks for listening. Next time we have got uh, another guy. I've found myself in some funny situations with this guy. He's uh, called Paul Albra, also known as Professor Elemental. Kind of similar vein to Mr. B, who was also a guest in this series, but kind of they're, they're like two sides of a similar coin. And I would say that the Professor Elemental side is definitely a bit darker and a bit more sinister. And I've seen him in some various states at Glastonbury and he's seen me in some various states at Glastonbury. And we don't see each other. He doesn't live actually that far from me down here in Brighton. He's another Brighton local and he we don't get to hang out that much. He's always kind of working at the weekends and... Being a, being a dad during the week so we don't get to hang out that much but one place we've always got to hang out is at Glastonbury so uh, there's some chat about that which is jolly good fun so he'll be with us next time on the Current State of Music podcast and I hope you look forward to that and for now I think all I've got to do is bid you farewell take care, peace
It's the arcade, them niggas try to make you move, girl. They curling up and bringing fun that make you swoon, girl. We toting bars on low and bars pull up in cars like fucking stars do. Drink in my hand, ain't left the bars too from carpool to never pin for a damn thing, even though I can't. Been the boy in the man, hatch your master plan. Camera pin and get this shit in the focus on the roadie on it spoken. Beats and watch your plot, they worship every word you spoken. Team of 10, cream of crop, ain't enough from at the top. Deconstruction, reconstruction, and expansion as we planned it. Slow more off of that robo. Pushing down the block, paper maker player, keep a tiger at the gate. You don't hear me, never could play. He at the plate, ready. Batter up, have him backing up, they can't catch him. Okay, so we the president leave the room, girl They do not play, they do not want you backstage Came from that A, took off a flight from LAX So cut the checker, cut the chat, I'm fucking tired Off that fucking fire, you can find me higher In status and elevation, we posted like flyers It was necessary, you step up, the situation was dire Who else you know that push the boxes like he does Make a living pushing buttons and reciting like he does Breaking levies with the flow again Spit that shit that made these niggas really take no I paper make that shit that make these hoes Get up on they toes Get high and get low Get fly and get dough I'm smooth As his injuries removed And hella came in the loop To where I'm about to be And how my house about to look Staring at this wall Imagine beaches and Picasso's Next to any legend Any question had to answer to before he even took his first breath royalty See who earned a stack up every quarterly Super Saiyan overbeats You ain't got the balls for it Majin Buu with Buku Ludi Must be from the cool diamond Shining white and blue You blinded from the coupe So what it do in any challenge you will lose I'm on the tube and on the webby bending Would you wanna shelf dust Come with that fucking lay it down and leave the track must Come with that fucking lay it down and leave the If you love me
Remember there's no time like right now 